Welcome to Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you back once again. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What have you got lined up for us today? I thought today we'd talk about terrariums. Three degrees overnight, so you've got to keep those plants warm. So you can make a nice little terrarium in the house and create a... In the house? Yeah, a tropical atmosphere for your plants. Tropical paradise inside. Very nice. Uh, Black-eyed Susan, a climber out at the moment, and azaleas. So we've got Sandra from Rutherford, and she's looking for a fertiliser for a newly potted frangipani. Good afternoon, Sandra. How can we help you? Um, yeah, I'm just wondering what's a good fertiliser I can put on it. I've just put it in a big pot in my front yard in the sun. Yeah. And I'm just wondering what would be nice to fertilise it. Yeah, so uh, did you take a cutting of this frangipani and you've just potted it up or is it an existing one that's uh, been there for <laughs> no, some time? It's one my sister-in-law gave me a few weeks ago and I can't put it in the ground up here because I'm not capable of doing it. Yeah. And I've put it, in, I've put it into a big pot. Okay. And I thought, what would I fertilise it with? Yeah, no, that, that's all right. We'll, we'll help you out with that. Did you let it uh, dry out uh, before you stuck it into the, into the pot? Yeah, yeah, it's been drying out and everything. Okay, yeah, very good, because it's most important that you do that. And is it a really big cutting you've got that's going to move around? Do you need to stake it or...? No, it's a big one, but um, it's pretty firm in the ground. Okay, okay, look, that's fine. When you've got a frangipani like that that's uh, just a a fresh cutting, you you probably almost don't need to fertilise it uh, quite yet. But if you did want to, you would use some slow-release fertiliser that's going to release out over the next three or four months for it. So, you know, those pelletised ones like Osmocote are, are very good to use. Yeah. And, oh, and the reason to use those is they're very safe. You don't want to be using something that's, you know, sort of a little bit heavier and, uh, you know, these fine roots are coming out from the cutting and all of a sudden it gets a whole lot of fertiliser and it will just burn those back. So... At the moment, I'll just use a slow-release one, uh, and then in about three to four months' time, then you might move to using a liquid fertiliser, uh, you know, uh, Flourish, Thrive, Aquasol, those ones that you mix up in the watering can and water through. And then, uh, you know, perhaps about, uh, you know, February, March next year, then you could use one of a more organic fertiliser if you wanted to. But always use a slow-release fertiliser when you've got a plant in a pot like that. Oh, right. Thanks very much. That's all right. Not a problem. So you get one of those uh, little pelletised ones. Make sure they've got a nice long release on them, three to four months. Yeah, I've uh, got a a thing of it now on my cupboard, I can see. (laughs) Okay, great. And look, just uh, make sure you just water it normally. You want to make sure that that pot is draining through, though, because you don't want it to get all wet and soggy. Yeah. Uh, But, Mm. yeah, just go out and and water it, uh, you know, every probably twice a week, I reckon, at the moment. Uh, It's pretty cool out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and then as we get into August and you start seeing leaves on it, that's when you start to increase the watering on the plant. Right. Thank you very much, Not Scott. a problem, Sandra. Thank you very much for the call. Thank you, love. Bye. Bye-bye. So we've got Warren from Caves Beach. And he's got a question about banana trees. Afternoon, Warren. How can we help you? Yeah, I do have a question about banana trees. Um, you, you get a big bunch of bananas will come down and then... You have that flower at the bottom, and then after a number of the bananas higher up the bunch, they've all set. Then the little banana, little banana, the fruits on on the end seem to get really small and never amount to anything. Should you cut that flower off when the, I start doing that? 
Yeah, look, there's no reason to cut the flower off. Uh, you know, I, usually the the uh, I guess the the fruit that's lower down like that is going to be the last to um, you know have the nutrient travel to it, so it is going to be the last to form. So it, it will naturally be a little bit smaller. But no, look, don't worry about that. Just leave the flower on there. Uh, and uh, yeah, are your bananas setting at the moment? What what's happening with them? Oh, these mate, there's no rhyme or reason to these bananas here. They come and go. Yeah, I just, um, oh, I guess two months ago they sprouted a a flower, and uh, there'd be probably 60, 70 bananas on this one bunch. But you know, just the flower is hanging down at the bottom now, and doesn't seem to be setting fruit like the rest of it, you know? Yeah, that. I mean, it might just be that it's got a bit cold for it as well. Uh, like you said, no rhyme and reason. So, you know, sometimes plants will just, you know, out of season sprout like that. So that could also be the case. But look, just let nature take its course. Don't worry about, uh, you know, pruning off that flower and just let them sit and uh, see if they do ripen up for you. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay, good on you, Warren. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Cheers, bye-bye. Cheers now. We've got Jill now from East Maitland, and she wants to work out how to remove a tree root. Oh, I wonder where from. <laughs> Jill, what's, what's happened? <laughs> uh, it's, it's quite a big tree. It's a flowering ash, and it's full grown. But uh, a couple of its roots have uh, found their way across the pathway, mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're above the ground, so they're a trip hazard. Yes. And I just wanted, wondered whether I could cut them off without doing any damage to the tree. Yes, you can. I mean, you can, you know, root prune uh, trees. If you're only doing a couple of them, I can't see that that's a problem. Um, You know, there should be plenty of other roots out there to keep the plant nice and stable. Uh, So, yeah, look, I I would just uh, get rid of those two. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult when you get a saw and you start involving a saw and dirt. They blunt very quickly, so it's always very difficult to cut them out, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, look, give that a go. Just dig around it as much as possible. Uh, where you've got the hole, where you want to cut, then maybe just wash the root off there to try and get rid of any uh, soil that might be there that's going to blunt the saw. And mm-hmm. uh, then just grab an old pruning saw and, and and go for it and try and cut that off there and uh, and rip it out from the path. Yeah, wonderful. Thank okay, you very yeah, much. But look, don't use any poison or anything like that because oh, it, no, it will no. go back up into the tree and yeah. around the rest of the root system and and kill the plant on you. So. Uh, yeah, really, you just need to be removing that, that root physically. Uh, just one or two, uh, not going to be a problem for the stability of the tree. Wonderful. Thank you very okay. much for that. Appreciate Thanks. the call. Thank you, Jill. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. It's Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And, Scott, you mentioned the top terrariums. Ter- terrariums. Terrariums. Yes, little terrariums. Uh, yeah, look, a, a great idea if you... Uh, you need, uh, you know, a nice plant indoors and, yep. yeah, keep it warm. And terrariums terrarium used to be the, the, you know, the big deal back in the 70s and the 80s. You'd get the, the big, you know... The big glass ones? The big glass one. You'd get the cork lid on the top and you'd have some palm trees in there. It would look very fantastic. Bring it back, I think. Oh, well, look, it is, it is coming back and they are really, really easy to do. Uh, all you do need to do is get uh, some sort of glass jar... Yep. And uh, I know, you know, uh, your garden centres have them. The, uh, you know, like the $2 shop things have yep. them as well. Uh, you know, they're a little bit easier and cheaper to buy than they used to be in the past. You want a big sort of glass jar, don't you? you don't want yes, a- as, as big as possible. And I think you want one that sort of, you know, um, bellies out in a way. So you've got a lot of nice soil at the bottom that you can plant the plants in and be able to seal it up as well to keep yep. that moisture in. 
So in the bottom of it, you need to get uh, some uh, drainage. So you need some stones or some uh, charcoal in the bottom to uh, create that little layer of drainage. Then your potting mix on top of that. Uh, and then if you want to, you can put some decorative stones or some sort of other you know, little ornaments yep. in there. Something uh, a bit fancy. Yeah, something a little bit fancy. Well, I don't know. What like would a, you... those semen that you put in the, um, you know. Oh, in, in a, a, a terrain. Uh, yeah, stuff, in a fish bowl. Yeah, in a fish bowl you could do something like that if you want to. Yeah, like create an undersea scene, but it's not really that. No. Yeah. Jungle scene if you wanted to as well. You so could... many options. So many <laughs> options. Uh, and then uh, head along to your garden centre. Try and get some little nice little indoor plants. You get little parlour palms to put in there, uh, other sort of pepperonias and uh, things. And then, yeah, finally your stones on top. Uh, water it, seal it up, and uh, that should just keep on growing for you. Stones on top? Just on top of the soil, if okay. you want to. You just make it a little bit more decorative. Okay. Being a bit fancy as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right Excellent. So we've got Deborah from Medford. She's got a question about the passion fruit. Good afternoon, Deborah. How can we help you with your passion fruit? Well, hi, Scott. My passion fruit vine, I've got passion fruits the size of tennis balls. They're still as green as grass. They've been like that for months. So I thought, oh, maybe they're green. So I cut one over and it was very sour. Yeah. They're not ripening. No, and they're not going to, unfortunately. Uh, once you get to this time of year, uh, the passion fruits just won't ripen for you. It's not hot enough for them, not enough day, and not enough uh, hours in the day of sunlight uh, pouring down on them. So, look, you, you're really best just to remove them at this time of year. They'll sit there and sit there, and I can all be, almost guarantee that we'll get to mid-August and they'll still be sitting there as green as anything, uh, and they, they just won't ripen up for you, and they've been on the vine for too long. Uh, you're best to get rid of them now to try and promote some new uh, flowers and fruit to come on in August, uh, and then they'll ripen up over the spring and summer months. Do you know I've been babying these because <laughs> I've got about 40, and they're so big, and I'm going, oh, yum, yum. <laughs> Look, <laughs> And look, you're, you're you're not an island, Deborah. We we often get phone calls uh, here on the show about people with their passion fruit. You know, they're saying like you are. Oh, they're beautiful. They're looking fantastic. Why won't they ripen? Uh, it's just too cold here in Newcastle. I, I think what happens is that the it must just be our season here in Newcastle that the the plant will set its fruit, thinking it's still warm enough, but then all of a sudden the temperature drops off the end of the table and they just won't ripen. Okay, I'll pick them off. Yeah, sorry about that. Anyway, thank you. Okay, okay, but good luck in the uh, warmer months with them. I'm sure you get some beautiful passion fruit then. I um, hope I do. Thank you very much, okay. Scott. Thanks, Deborah. Bye. Bye. Well, we've got Jeff now from Brandy Hill, and he's got a question about wisteria. Good afternoon, Jeff. How can we help you with your wisteria? Um, to get rid of it, mainly. <laughs> it's a, it can be a nasty plant. Where, where have you got it, mate? Well, we've got it in two places, but um, one is in, in just outside the back door, which was which was lovely, um, but it's just taken over, and, and it's a devil of a thing. I've spoken to a few people, and I've, I've tried cut it down, and it just gets angry, so it goes back. <laughs> yes. Got to try and poison it. Just loves that. It really, really loves being poisoned. Um, I've dug it out, but all you need one tiny bit left. It's gone under under concrete paths. It's gone mm. through the lawn. Just wondered if you had any thoughts on on a way of getting rid of it. 
Yeah, look, it is a very difficult plant to get rid of. And like you said, it, it, it does get cranky. Uh, it, when you prune it, it just seems to promote more growth on it. And the trouble with wisteria is, uh, even though it looks really, really beautiful, and it is a beautiful plant, but once it starts entwining itself uh, and it gets hard and woody, it just does an immense amount of damage to, you know, like a pergola or, or any sort of wooden type of, you know, fence. It'll just rip them apart over time. I guess in a way, what you should have done in the past is if you had that main trunk, we would have, I would have got you to cut it off there and then drill into that trunk and put in a product called Trian Blackberry Killer. That would have then gone back down through the root system and uh, actually killed the plant then. But getting some Trian Blackberry Killer is probably not a bad idea. And when you see uh, any new shoots coming up, go and spray that tree and blackberry killer onto the new shoots. And it's just going to be a bit about persistence for you now, Jeff, trying to keep that uh, wisteria under control and, and kill it. Okay, thanks, Scott. Um, yes, I suppose if I cut it back, because it's all dying off at the moment, mm. it probably wouldn't work, would it? Well, can you identify where there's a main trunk, or have you already tried to remove that in the past? Um, well, the one on the front, Pegola, has still got a main trunk. Okay. Now, that's great. So what I would do is cut that back, and um, I'm just thinking about the, the stages of the plant at the moment. It should be going dormant. Um, so, I mean, perhaps cutting it back and injecting a poison into it at the moment isn't the best thing to do. It might be, in fact, better to wait until, say, the start of August and then give it a hard cut back. And at that point in time, you drill into the main trunk and you put the tree and blackberry killer down into that. It will be absorbed down through that and into the root system and will kill the plant from within. Uh, so I, I think you might actually just leave it be dormant now and, and wait a couple of months until it's ready to you know, rear its ugly head again. And at that point in time, cut it off and drill and poison. I hadn't thought of that. Thank you very much for that. That's all right. And otherwise, for the, the one around your back door that you described, I think you'll just have to be persistent. And when it's, it starts to pop up again, just go and give it a quick spray and try and kill it that way. All right. Appreciate that very much. Thank okay. you. Not a problem, Jeff. Have a good afternoon. See you. Bye-bye. Cheers. It's Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And we've got Russell from Morpeth, and he's trying to get a fertiliser for his daffodil bulbs. Afternoon, Russell. Uh, yeah, you've got some daffodils, have you? You want to fertilise them? Uh, yeah, Scotty. Um, I bought some daffodil bulbs a fair while ago, and um, I put them in the fridge for a month. Yeah. Because I always plant bulbs on Mother's Day, and I think I've lost the packet instructions, but I think it said to fertilise with a dedicated bulb fertiliser, but I went to Bunnings and I couldn't find one, so is there anything else I can use? Yeah, look, you can get uh, dedicated um, bulb food uh, feed, yeah. so yeah, go to go to your local garden centre uh, up, up that way, they should be able to help you out uh, yeah. and look, you can get them either as a powder or you can get them as a liquid uh, yeah. but you do definitely need a specific bulb food um, for your daffodils to feed them now and when they start to die back as well, because you want to start feeding up that bulb uh, ready for next year again. Yeah, well, I put them in the pot, yeah. but I didn't know whether to leave them there for next year, say put a cover over them over the summer, 
Or whether to pull them out and put them in the lawn or something, you know. Well, look, you can you can pull them out and then you just store them in the garage in a nice, you know, open sort of tray where they can still breathe. Or some yeah. people just, uh, you know, pick the pot up and stick it under the house. You don't necessarily want it, uh, you know, where it's continually getting wet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so look, there, there's two ways of doing it. People often lift their bulbs and keep them in a nice dry spot, but you can just pick up the pot and move it away. Uh, and put it into a, a more protected area as well. Oh, all right. Now, can I ask you something else? Absolutely. I, I, I've got a little garden bed beside the garage, but the shadow of the house now, the, the, the sun's in the northern hemisphere. It's just about in shade all the time. Mm-hmm. Are there any flowers or veggies, or what do you recommend? Someone told me cineraria. Is that right, or...? Yeah, so you're probably not going to do too well with veggies in that position. Uh, but yeah. uh, you, your friend who suggested cinerarias, they're, they're absolutely on the right track. They're a great plant for a, a semi-shade position. Uh, yeah. Primula also, they're very easy to grow and uh, will just spread out nice and easily for you. So there's a couple of plants that you can put in there. Uh, you can get both of those from seed, although it might be a little bit late to, to try seed. You might have to get some seedling punnets. Uh, and plant those up at the moment. But great plants for in a semi-shade position and will give you some colour. Thank you very much for your time. That's all right, and thank you for the call, Russell. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We've got Les now from Musselbrook, and he's got a question about passion fruits. Good afternoon, Les. How can we help you? Mate, I've just got the bad news about my green passion fruits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're in the same boat as well, are you? My Panama Gold, and it's their first crop. Yep. And they're monsters. They're some of them are uh, big as big navel oranges. Yes, yeah. And and it sounds, you know, in the last couple of weeks people have been ringing in saying that the passion fruits they've got sitting on their vine are enormous and fantastic at the moment. Um, but, yeah, they're just not going to ripen for you. The odd one or two is changing. Yeah, and look, I, I think it, it can, but it's, it's so slow that, you know, by the time they're, you know, they're just going to sit on the vine for far too long and they, they won't be very nice uh, fruit to eat. Okay. Yeah. So if I, if I pluck them all off, how hard do I prune them? Uh, well, yeah, pluck them all off. Uh, I, uh, you're up at Musselbrook. I probably wouldn't go hard on your pruning with your plant at the moment because you might start to get some new growth and then the cold will uh, come along and, and burn them off, uh, all that new growth. So just leave that, uh, any old growth on there at the moment. It'll actually you know, protected in a way. If you're going to give your plant a prune, I would wait till that first week of August when you start to feel that change. Uh, you know, there's not going to be any frost or, you know, more cold winds coming along. Yeah. And also, we, at the same time, we planted a Nelly Kelly. Yes. And the Nelly, Nelly Kelly flowered, but it didn't produce any fruit. So maybe next season it might fruit. Yeah, look, that could be the case. Only a young plant uh, might just not have had the, uh, you know, the oomph uh, to, to fruit properly. So, yeah, don't despair on that one. I, I reckon you'll get a crop next year. Right yeah. Okay. Thanks very much, right? Thank you. Okay. See you, Liz. Bye. We've got Glenis now from Merriweather and they've got grasshoppers in their passion fruit. Oh, it's passion fruit. <laughs> it's passion fruit danger this week, isn't it? What's happening, Glenis? Oh, hi, Scotty. Thanks for taking my call. Um, look, I've got the most perfect uh, aspect for my passion fruit vines. I've got three actually, and um, I have planted um, perennial basil at the base. So I have a zillion bees in my backyard, and um, passion fruit vine was going really well, and then just got annihilated. Uh, my next door neighbours had the same 
and yeah, like what's the solution to the grasshopper thing? Yeah, look, grasshoppers are very, very difficult to get rid of, especially those little baby ones that, uh, you know, mm. you see them and they just go around the back of the leaf and hide away. Uh, yeah. Look, the, the, the best I can suggest for you is to try a, a pyrethrum spray. Uh, mm. You know, it's not a, a hard spray. Um, mm. So, yeah, look, very difficult to get rid of. Uh, just if you see them there, give them a spray, see how you go. Um, but yep. otherwise, it sort of gets a bit, you know, you start spraying all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff and you do do more damage to the bees, to, you know, other yeah. insects in the environment. So yeah. uh, just yeah. a, a light pyrethrum spray, uh, see if it works with them. Uh, you might not have any success, but uh, uh, yeah. look, it really is the, the best, you know, compromise situation. Yeah, I had I had did get some grasshopper something or other and I was spraying that, but it just did nothing. And then I put a net over them. Um, and that seemed to help a little bit. I'd put a net right over the passion fruit vine, yeah. and but then I'd you know go out there and they'll inside it and smiling at me yeah well the the other thing is with the passion fruit vine it's so quick growing once we get back to the warmer months uh you know it almost you know if the grasshoppers were in there eating away it'll almost grow the same distance again out overnight so um, that that is one of the benefits uh but look they are just a a real scourge uh and not much you can do about them unfortunately no sadly okay that's fine but i can't uh, recommend perennial basil enough for just such a quick growing, you can grow up from sleep and it just brings the bees. It's just amazing. Yeah. And I was talking about lavender a couple of well, sessions ago, but uh, perennial basil, it's just the just top of the list yeah. as far as bringing bees into your garden. Yeah, absolutely. So, and in the warmer months, just your normal sweet basil as well. I know it doesn't flower yeah. quite as much, but uh, yeah. yeah, look, both basil plants are yeah, fantastic for bringing yeah. bees into the garden. Yeah, okay, I'll just um, leave them there. They haven't taken off the big big leaves. Like, uh, they're still alive and that. I'll just leave them there and just see what happens in spring. Yeah. Keep my fingers crossed. Okay. okay. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks, Glenis. Thanks a lot. Okay, okay. bye. So we've got Warren from Hamilton South, and he's got a question about the grapevine. Good afternoon, Warren. How can we help you? Yeah, look, Scott, my problem with my grapevine is I don't have one. Um, <laughs> and, and I've been trying to several years now to obtain a bare root stock of a Menindee seedless variety. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, one, if you know why they are uh, unable to be supplied anywhere in Australia, as far as I can find. And if, is there anything you could recommend as a, uh, a, a variety that may be available similar to the Menindee seedless? Does that make sense? Yeah, look, it, it does. Uh, I'm not sure why Menindee seedless isn't available, uh, you know, here in Australia like that. Uh, I guess the the problem with grapevines, especially here on the coast, is it, it becomes a bit problematic with growing them. Uh, they, they get fungal disease. They especially get downy mildew uh, right through them here in Newcastle. Uh, so it, it it is can be very difficult to to grow a grapevine. I mean, it's odd though that we've got vineyards just up the, you know, 40 minutes up the way and you know, they do perfectly fine. But as soon as you get down to Newcastle, they don't do too well at all. Uh, have you, so have you been, have you tried your local garden centre, uh, you know, one of the ones up in the valley? They might be able to help you out a little bit better. Um, have you been talking to them about this? I haven't tried it up in the valley. I've tried some other local suppliers. But I also, the one, the one recognised that I've, from research was a, a company called Daly's Fruit Tree. Yes, yes, yep. They're up, the, they, they're up the coast. They have been yep. unable to supply. They won't even take orders. Um, they took an order about three years ago, and then late 
uh, in July, they they said they were unavailable, and I got a refund. So, yeah, I, I was keen to get them an Edney seedless. Uh, I have a, I think, an area that they would grow. But uh, and anyway, uh, look, you know, if there's, I'll try up the valley. I think that might be an option. Yeah, yeah. Just just talk to one of the garden centres up there. Uh, you know, more likely that they're going to have them in stock uh, because you're actually able to grow them up there. So you know, there's, yeah. I guess, a supply and demand for them. Uh, some yeah. Victorian uh, suppliers as well might be able to help you out with that as well. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Okay. Thanks for that, Warren. Cheers. Bye. Well, we've got Margaret now from the Garden Suburb, and she's got a question about the pomegranates. Good afternoon, Margaret. How can we help you? Uh, hello. Uh, look, I've got a pomegranate. Yes. It gets heaps and heaps of flowers on it, and just as the flowers start to turn, they fall off. Okay. Now, have you got that plant in a pot, or are you trying to grow it in the ground? It's in the ground. Yeah. But it doesn't get a lot of sun because the council planted a huge gum tree on the footpath and it shades my whole yard. Oh, bad council, bad council. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think that it could be part of the problem in that the pomegranate does like to be, you know, pretty much in the full sun. Uh, right. The other thing is, uh, is that gum tree, how, how, is it quite large now? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. So is it dropping leaves as well around your garden? Yes, and it's dropped branches and scratched my car and everything else. Oh, we'll, we'll have to give council a smack on the hand about that one. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that, that you might also want to do a pH test of the soil as well to make sure right. it hasn't been slightly acidified by those uh, gum leaves falling uh, and dropping into your garden and forming a layer of, of you know, slightly acidified soil. So if you take a sample into your local garden centre, they should be able to help you out uh, with that. Uh, look, the other thing is, uh, with flowers falling off, a good all-round thing to use is sulphate of potash. You start right. using that uh, nice and regularly because it washes through the soil. Uh, so use that every month on the plant and, and build that up, and that might improve the, the flowering and fruiting for you as well. Okay, then. Thanks a lot. Not a problem. Good luck with it, Margaret. Um, okay, bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, we've got Tracy from Whitebridge, and she's got black spots on the plants. Good afternoon, Tracy. What, what sort of plants you got uh, the black spots on? Oh, on the yuccas, Scott. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's really bad. They're, they're covered in it. Um, and when I've had some without the black spot on it, I've moved them well away from the ones that do have the black spot in case it's uh, um, some kind of contagious <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, I, I had cordylines. These are all in pots. Yes. Um, and I have quarter lines kind of intermittent between the like a yucca, a quarter line, a yucca, a quarter line. Um, but the yuccas are just, they, they grow well. They're, uh, that's why I love them. They're really low maintenance. But the black spot is just horrible. And it's on all of them. And um, even the ones that I move away um, eventually get the black spot. Yeah, so look, it, it is a fungal disease they get on them uh, and it, it will spread around, as you've probably noticed. Uh, the trouble is once they're damaged like that and they've got the black spot on them, you're not actually going to be able to you know, repair the leaf, but you can start spraying preventatively. Uh, to right. do that, you need a fungicide of some type. I would suggest uh, either Mancozeb Plus 
or copper oxychloride, and they'll form a sort of protective coating over the leaf. You do it on the on the underside of the leaf and on the top as well, and uh, especially on the new growth because you want to be protecting that. Uh, do yeah. all all the plants around. Uh, you might even do some of the soil as well. Uh, underneath the plants to try and get rid of any fungal spores that are there, uh, but eventually you just have to, uh, you know, take those leaves off uh, if you're unhappy yeah. with the appearance. But it, it will protect it spreading any further. Yeah, because they grow well. Like I get all the new growth and it's beautiful and green. Um, I rip the bottom ones off when they're ready to be ripped off. Um, so if I can get it under control, I know that the new growth will eventually take over yeah so you, um, sh- you should be able to get it under control have you been spraying uh with a fungicide at all nothing <laughs> <laughs> i said lo- i said low maintenance <laughs> they, they are very low maintenance and they're very easy to propagate as well you know you can cut off a stalk and and put yeah, them into the ground yeah. uh look a, a thing with a yucca though be very careful because if you do put them in the ground they get quite a big bulb uh you know around you know where their roots are and it spreads out and spreads out and can do damage to retaining walls and and fencing and paths so if you are going to plant one always make sure that there's quite a a bit of space uh, between it and anything that might be uh, you know can be damaged by that big bulb that will spread out uh, yeah, but yeah, Tracy. I think look, they can stay in their pots for now. Yeah, very good. And all you need is some of that fungicide, the copper oxychloride, and the, or the Mancozet Plus. Uh, spray that, and you'll start protecting could, the plant uh, for the new growth coming on. Could you spell that Mancozet, please? Yeah, M A N C O Z E B. Ding. Okay. Thank you so much for your help, guys. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. No worries. Thank you, Tracy. Well, that is all for us on Gardening Talk back for another week. And Spelling Bee as well. And Spelling Bee. <laughs> I think spelling Bee 2021. I got there. Uh, no, Gardening Talk back next week, Scott. So you can have a break. Oh, a week off. We'll have, see a, you. have a breather. Okay. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.